Test, test, one, two. Okay, cool. Excited about uh, excited about the message today as we uh, jump back in uh, to our study in Exodus and victory in Exodus. I shared with my wife, and whispered into her ear, not of sweet Valentine, although I wish you all have a wonderful Valentine's Day this week. I whispered into her ear that when I was up here before, something in my ear popped, and now I'm not sure I can hear so well. So, like, it's just like fluid in my ear or something. So, <clears throat> if I am a- amazingly soft or amazingly loud, somebody just give me that feedback, and I'll try to adjust, because everything is echoing in my head right now. So, for whatever it's worth, I'm not, I'm not sure why uh, that is. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you want to turn there, uh, we're making our, our way through the plagues, or have made our way through the plagues, and we are going, we're getting ready to ramp up to some 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 different excitement. Oh, I, uh, whoops, fortunately I had already finished that. Um, thank you. And um, Exodus chapter 12. And today, our our topic is going to be victory in observing. Victory in observing. And uh, I think I've said this before. There are some messages that flow right out of Scripture. They're super easy to put together. There's some that you have to kind of labor in the Word to get. This is one of those that just kind of flowed right out of Scripture. It was super, I don't want to say easy, But it was super straightforward, and I'm very confident that this is what I'm supposed to share with you all today. Uh, We'll follow our pattern of situation, struggle, and victory as we have in this. If you look either on the screen, on your page, or in Scripture, in uh, a handful of verses, we're going to pull out some points. In Exodus 12, starting in verse 14, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And what's he talking about? Look back up in verse 13. And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Uh, So in verse 14, this day shall be to you for a memorial and you shall keep it. So they are talking about keeping the Passover. Jump down in verse 17. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in the selfsame day that I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Jumping down to verse 24. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. What? Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer (coughs) the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. So you're supposed to observe that thing, an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And go all the way down into verse 42. We'll pick it up actually in verse 40 for a little context. Now sojourning in the children, uh, now sojourning, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it is, it, it is a night to be much observed from the Lord for bringing them 
out from the land of Egypt. And this, this is that night of the Lord to be observed for all the children of Israel in their generations. Like, I couldn't ignore what was going on in Exodus chapter 12, this concept of a memorial, this concept of an ordinance, this concept of observing uh, multiple times, observe, uh, the, the, uh, the call to observe. So we're going to, within our situation, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about these words, these, these concepts, because they are, they are important. They're repeated or they're called out something that is, is something the nation of Israel, the children of Israel are supposed to continue to do. And to some degree, to a varying degree, depending upon the orthodoxy of the Jewish uh, community, uh, that that a that a that a, a Jewish a practicing Jew would would uh, would see today, they have varying degrees of Passover. They have varying degrees of Feast of Unleavened Bread. But a memorial is a concept. Uh, so it's a noun. A memorial. Do it for a memorial, a, a concept, an item, or an event designed to trigger a, a memory or remembrance. So we talk about Memorial Day. It's designed for us to remember those who've fallen, right? Or you plant a tree as a memorial to someone. Or you have an event that uh, serves as a memorial. That thing, that event, is designed as a trigger for you to remember. God knows our state. I am one that has a hard time not remembering, per se, but I have a hard time sometimes setting aside that which is important. You know, and taking time, and not just kind of soft-selling it. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, Memorial Day, or, or Veterans Day, or... Or what have you? Yeah, I mean it's important. Our, our you know, our, our troops, those of that serve, or those that have sacrificed in the concept of Memorial Day. I mean that's that's a big deal. I mean our forefathers laid down their lives for our independence. That's a big deal on July Fourth. But I mean, hand me a hot dog and a and a burger and a brat and let me shoot off some fireworks and I'm happy. You know, I I, I don't always I I give it mental assent, but I don't necessarily take the time to observe. I'll be honest, moments of, of silence at sporting events feel like they just go on too long for me. I'm, I'm not that guy that is that takes the time to do it. But there have been times in my life where I have been at a place where something significant, I'll just say in American history, has happened. Because I think as we even talked, I haven't had the chance yet. I haven't taken the chance, probably is a better, better phrase. I haven't taken the chance to go to Israel. I haven't had the chance to walk where Jesus and the disciples walked. It, it is kind of on the proverbial bucket list. But the good news is it's on my eternal bucket list. I'm going to be there someday. So, uh, so you know, that'll be good. Um, but there's a part of me that would really love to travel where Paul traveled and started churches. Like that, honestly, that, that kind of sounds more interesting to me than, than going to going to the the proverbial holy land but sometimes i find myself standing at a place and i just got to take it in i a few years ago we went out to philadelphia which you know i think is probably a bad word today in the greater kansas city area philadelphia right it's like you know just a, just a tad but we we went to uh independence hall like you got it when you're there you got to see the liberty bell you got to do independence hall i would also recommend if you ever go to philadelphia to see the Pennsylvania State Penitentiary, I think, is what it's called. It's a 
it's the literally the oldest penitentiary in the United States, and uh, it's a museum now. Uh, pretty crazy, but uh, I would recommend that if you're going to uh, to, to Philadelphia and taking in all the history. Yeah, it's it's at their practice facility for the for the Eagles. Um, the so. Um, we went to Independence Hall, and it was neat. What did anybody know? What happened in Independence Hall? Declaration of yeah. There are many things. Good job. Yeah, I forgot we have a we have a history guy here in the room. So uh, there's several things, but probably the most notable is the Declaration of Independence. So we're out and the Constitutional Convention. The Constitutional Convention. Very good. So have you been there yet? Okay. So we're standing outside because you got tickets at like you know. Your tour is at 12.42, you know, so we're outside, we're kind of waiting, and, and there wasn't, a, like, we already had lunch, we're just kind of waiting. Do you remember? Do you remember this? And so there's, over to the side, there's this building sitting right next to the Independence Hall, like, it's on the campus, and it says, tours start here at, at 12, and go for 30 minutes, whatever it is, I'm, I'm making it up on time, but it was like, we can do this, let's at least, you know, the boys are kind of, yeah. You know, so instead of just standing here waiting, let's at least take this tour, and we'll take the tour, and then we'll go take the tour of Independence Hall. Well, that was where the first Congress met. Like, it's the, and they call it, I think, Congressional Hall, if I'm not mistaken. And so we're in there, we go in there, and we're sitting in the place where, you know, the Navy was established. And we're sitting in the place where all these things are talking to us, and that's a whole other guy that was doing things, a whole other story, I don't have time for that. But he... It was pretty funny. And so he, so he takes us, he's like, this happened here, and this happened in this room, and this happened. And, and one of the things that was, he's like, the door you walked in, George Washington walked out that door as a common man after being the president. And that's the first time that that had ever happened in history, where the man who led, or was key, pivotal man in a revolution, who willingly gave up his authority after two uh, sessions of, like, I just walked through that door. I don't know. Did you guys see me? I walked through that same door that George Washington had walked through. And he's like, well, just wait. He takes us upstairs to the upper room or the upper chamber, which was where the Senate met. Much smaller room. So that's why they call it the upper chamber. So we're standing in the back, and I've got my back up against the wall because it's, it's roped off. You can only go so far. And he's like, and right next to you, sir, is the first library of Congress. And I turned around, and it's a, a room that's, I don't know, 12 by 10. I mean, it's super tiny. It's, that, was, that was the first Library of Congress. Like, I was standing where all these things, really cool history things happened. Well, in that moment, I took it in. In that moment, I was like, wow, this is cool. Now, I've lost all of y'all because some of you are like, you would be the worst father, husband to take a vacation with. <laughs> But for me, I was like, this is cool. I'm where significant things happened. I've stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg. I've, I've, I've walked in the house that George Washington stayed in at Valley Forge. And, and, and while he, he rallied the, the revolutionary troops. and uh, so Those things are neat to me. That's when I take it in as a memorial. When it becomes more real. Right? I mean, July 4th, I'm going to shoot off fireworks and have a hot dog. But boy, standing in Valley Forge at a pivotal place at a, at, at, that was a pivotal time in the, in the revolution of the United States, that was kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. 
And the reason I bring this up is those are actually memorials. They don't, I mean, they're buildings and maybe they have a nice plaque or they're now an official historical site. But they're a place, an event, a concept that triggers a respectful memory of that which has happened. And God is challenging the children of Israel not to forget what he has done slash is doing, but most of the time it's going to be what he's done, right, in the Passover, in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Like, this is a big stinking deal. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about it. And partaking in it is, and I mean, like kind of being there, would have made it doubly exciting. Notice in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel. So this is earlier in our Exodus story. He's, God's talking to Moses, right? I am hath sent me unto you. That's what, that's what Moses is supposed to say. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Anytime, that, anytime you speak my name, it's a memorial of what I'm, what I'm doing, what I've done, what I'm able to do. I just accidentally shut off my computer. What I'm able to do, that's a memorial. An ordinance, it's a commanded observance, a prescribed enactment. So we have two ordinances in the local church today. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, we refer to them as ordinances, were commanded, not in the sense of the Old Testament law commanded, but it's really important. Like, if you're going to walk in your, if you're going to take your next spiritual steps, you've got to be baptized. I was in a church many, many years ago when I was in college, out of state. None of you, I think, surprised me if anybody knows this church. And uh, I was in the, the college age class, which was, uh, you know, appropriate for my age at the time. And that's, uh, but there was just a handful of us because of the size of the church and, and their focus on ministry. They brought in a guy who was going to be the, the college pastor. He was going to handle some of the stuff. There was a school associated with the church. So he was going to do some administrative stuff. But he was going to be our pastor. He was a pastor. And there was one night the senior pastor was preaching on baptism, uh, at least as part of his message. And the guy who was my immediate pastor goes forward and is, is clearly the Lord's like working on his heart. And he goes forward and we had an activity, I think that next week, relatively soon after, and he announced his, his resignation. And um, I was surprised. I was disappointed. He was a good dude. Uh, thought that we were getting some traction on some things. And in moments like that, I think most of our brains go to a kind of a worst case scenario. Like, what'd you do? What happened? And he's like, I came to the realization the other night during that message, I had never been baptized. You, as a pastor, had never been baptized? And he got saved as a young man, just never never took care of it, never submitted to it, ended up going away to college, seminary, ended up becoming a pastor. And evidently, we stopped asking people when they were baptized at some point if they have a college degree. 
it's that important that he felt so convicted that he resigned his position as a pastor because he knew he needed to go back and take care of that. And kind of start over. Not exactly start over. Like he didn't have to unlearn the things he learned. But he needed to take care of that. An ordinance is that which is important. If you have not been scripturally baptized, we need to take care of that. Talk to me after. Talk to me Tuesday. Talk to me uh, next Sunday. Grab me. Text me. Find out what we need to talk. Because that is most likely holding back from something. You may not think that it is, but it is. It is the first act of obedience. Similarly, the Lord's Supper. Like, like I was talking, I don't know if I've shared this with, with you all before, but I, I, I think, I feel like I have, that, that I was part of a meeting where an individual in this church t- tells the pastor that he's hated him for the last two years. And I was like, my first thought was, how is that dude taking the Lord's Supper? Like, how is it that he's been able to take the... I'm sure he's taken the Lord's Supper in the last two years, yet he had something so ought against his brother that he labeled it as hatred. Like, how can you... Ordinances are important. Paul said, this is why some of you are sick and, and, and sleep or are dead in your body because you haven't taken the ordinance seriously. You've kind of played with the ordinance. Don't play with the ordinances. They are commanded in in Ezekiel 11.20 that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. We don't have time to break the sentence structure down here but it's important to do them. Colon, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. If you don't keep the ordinances... And statutes, again, this is Old Testament. We're going to apply it in New Testament state and, and to the ordinances we have. I, yes, will you be his people? Yes, that doesn't make you lose your salvation. Is he still your God? Yes, he's still your God. That The lack of the ordinance or lack of adherence to the ordinance doesn't, doesn't cause you to, 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 to lose a relationship with the Lord or him to, to no longer be God of your life. But you know what I mean when, I, when he says... They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Like, it's different. That's a, that's a, that's a more intimate relationship than, than just a logistical relationship. I want to be God's people, even though I'm a child of God. I want him to be my God, even though he's already my God. And I think you know what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul actually talks about the ordinance of the Lord's Supper later in that passage, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. This is a New Testament principle as well. You need to keep these things. Now, you know, I I don't know, I, I feel like I'm on this kick with Sam. Life hack, spiritual life hack. Don't just keep the ordinance, but be there. Don't just have the hamburger or hot dog on July 4th, but stand in the place where they sign the Declaration of Independence. I'm not telling you to take a vacation to Philly. Like, nobody needs to spend their money in Philadelphia. That's not my point, especially right now. Do a staycation. But my point is, don't just give mental assent to the concept. Experience it. Like, if, if, if you think of the Lord's Supper, 
Well, let me step back up. If you think of baptism as getting wet, you're missing the point. If you think of the Lord's Supper as drinking a little bit of juice and having a tiny bit of cracker, you're missing the point. It's the outward testimony in the baptism. It's the inward self-analysis, self, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the other word I'm trying to, trying to say, but it's the inward look that to take, take assessment of yourself and write that which might be wrong in your life, whether it's a sin situation, a relational situation, or whether that's relational with each other, or relational with our Lord. Like, experience it. Don't just have a moment of silence. To observe is to keep or watch or, but notice it's also to celebrate. To celebrate. And some reason I've, um, I've, I've screwed up and copied the wrong verses here. So you'll just have to trust me that there were really cool verses there associated with observing and they're gone for all, all eternity. So we'll just keep moving on. But you need to observe, to celebrate it, to take it in, right? You know, I'm going to share with you all the experience I had because I got to live in it. And I wish I had the verses, but obviously I made a typo somehow. But these are designed to be passed down or shared. I don't know if you caught that in each of the verses, each of the concepts. I'm going to go back up here if if the PowerPoint will let me. Notice that this day shall be a memorial unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep the feast by an ordinance forever, throughout your generations. Therefore, you shall observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. There's this concept of generational, if you're already seeing it. To thee and thy sons forever. It's familial, right? Observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. So these generations, or these uh, observances, these memorials, these ordinances, they were to be passed down. They were designed to be passed down or shared generationally to their sons, to their children, to their children's children. Psalm 103, verse 17 and 18. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. It's not, a, it's not enough For me to live in Christ, I need to communicate to my children that principle so well, and they need to live in Christ so well that they can communicate it to their kids. It only takes a generation or two. I think it was Ronald Reagan, I'm not sure, who said we're one generation away from freedom. Like we're one generation not taking freedom seriously to lose our freedom. We're one generation away from losing the spiritual relationships that that we have all invested in. Now, in the nation of Israel's case, this is a very physical children, children's children. But we need to flip the script. It's also a very spiritual conversation. So the first victory principle today is learn of the Lord in a way you will be prepared to teach it. There is a strategy in the discipleship ministry that someone who disciples, disciples a person, so there's a discipler and a disciple, 
And we have, over the last few years, really emphasized this concept of an apprentice. So, because a lot of times what was happening, people were kind of drinking from the proverbial fire hose when they went through discipleship. And then we're saying, okay, now teach it. And they're like, I'm not sure, like, I'll try. I have a heart for ministry. But they hadn't really processed it all. So, allowing someone who's been discipled to apprentice and watch it, now they're learning it, not just to learn it, but they're learning it with an eye on how to teach it. We need to do that generationally in our spiritual lives. We need to learn something, but we also need to learn it in a way to be prepared to teach it. So the struggle. So, and it came to pass when your children, so, so in 26 and 27, in Exodus 26 and 27, and it shall come to pass, literally, it's a promise, it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. Notice that the, the tone is very personal. I was there. I, will ex- I have experienced it. Okay? So, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. So, where can this breakdown, where can the breakdown occur as we try to pass it down? Well, we could not do the service and thus them not see it. The children see it. Right? So number one is us not doing the service and them not seeing it could break down this, the, the passing of the torch. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Oh, I guess it should be part of your life. Like, I do believe, I have messed up a lot of things with our kids. Michelle's been a great mom. I have just been not a great dad. I mean, I'm just saying. I've messed up probably more than I've done right. But one thing I haven't done is lived a different life in, fr- in front of people at church than in front of my kids. Like, I don't put on a facade when we get here. Like, we do try to keep, contain the arguments to the car. <laughs> I mean, we do, like, I do try to get myself in the mindset of worshiping the Lord and get my mindset and hearing from the Lord. So in that regard, somebody could argue maybe that I that I'm a little quicker to forgive here. Or, but, but fundamentally, like you're not getting a different guy than than at the house. I mean, I wear sweatpants around the house, but other than that, I'm pretty much the same guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that I wear sweatpants. Okay. Um. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, so not doing the service or them not seeing it. So this is both a parenting advice as well as spiritual advice. Like your kids should see you living for the Lord. Yes, that's important. Your disciple should see you living for the Lord. If I, if, if, I, if, we're, if we're doing a construction project on this, on this property and we all show up, we're all there, and I smash my finger with my thumb with a hammer, I believe I'm going to say the same thing in front of you that I would say um, at in my garage. Like, 
son of a buck, mother of pearl. That's what I say, like every time, like every time I say that. Okay, I don't know where it came from, but that's comes what's what comes out of me. I am, I you know, I don't believe you're going to see a different guy. The second place that the breakdown can occur is an environment where children aren't comfortable asking. He says, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean you by this service? Your children should have the ability to say, Dad, why do we do that? And for the love of God, I'm begging you, don't say, because that's the way we do it. Or that's what we do at our church. That's not the answer that the children of Israel are spo- were supposed to give. They don't say, God instructs them, and he doesn't say, that's our tradition. That's the way the children of Israel roll. He says, very specifically, that ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children. Like, there's an explanation. <coughs> there's an explanation. Deuteronomy 32, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. You should have, the disciple, discipler relationship should be one where they can ask almost anything. Like, I've, I've approached this situation, and I'm not sure what to do. Can you help me out? Like, give me your wisdom as a man or a woman who's walked with the Lord more. Help me. Help me understand. They should be able to ask just about anything. Just like a kid should be able to ask, why do we do that? Why do we go to church on Tuesday night and pray? You know, and and honestly, to some degree, you should have your answers prepared ahead of time. That's a different different thing. But what you can't do is Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because I would argue, if you say to them, that's just the way we roll. That's the way we've always done things. You're, you're putting a seed of doubt in them. You're actually potentially provoking them to anger because you're not bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're creating an emphasis on structure. You're creating an emphasis on tradition and not on what God did. Potentially answering incorrectly. We touched on the answer already. In Exodus 13, 8, so just a little bit over. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. So they're still alive. The people who, in, in Exodus 13, they just saw it. God, you, or, or, or son, you will not believe what God just did in my life. Have you been praying for something? What maybe is sharing with your, with your spouse and, and you're earnestly praying for something and, it, and God answers the prayer and then you don't tell your kids? Or you don't bring them into the loop and praying for something, you know, big deal? Like, that's how, like, that's how it's supposed to work in the disciple relationship as well. Continuing down in verse 14, And it shall be when thy son asketh to thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? Notice the right kind of answer. By the strength of the hand of the Lord, or by strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out, uh, out from Egypt and from the house of bondage. Not, we were really awesome. 
we were praying to God one day, and I was just so in the spirit, and it was, no, it's like, God did this. God brought us up out of the nation, out of, out of Egypt. And you will see, we don't have time to go there, much, much forward, or much farther forward into the Gospels, the problem is, the nation of Israel kind of lost the focus, and it started to become on the children of Israel, on the nation of Israel, rather than just on what God did, just on God's glory. Or potentially for not remembering what it means. Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra opens the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. He's literally standing on some sort of platform or pedestal or stage. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their ha- with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Where does the answer come from? The word of God. It's not because of the way we just do it. So victory principle number two, and you guys are not listening nearly fast enough. <laughs> Disciple well. Disciple well. And if you don't know the answer, admit that you don't know the answer and that you will find the answer. It's okay. It's okay. So our victory. Our victory. And now, this is jumping. Wait a second. Wait a second. That's not even an exodus. I know it's in the next, well, yeah, or next part of the story. In Joshua chapter 5, you can turn there. It is on the screen and on your page. The children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even in the plains of Jericho. This is literally just after they transfer, just after they cross over the River Jordan. They encamp in Gogo, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So when he all of these promises, when he's like, when you cross over, when you get into your land, into the land that God's <clears throat> that I got have promised to you, keep the Passover. What was the first thing they did? They kept the Passover. Well, I guess you could argue they built an altar, etc. But one of the very first things they did was they kept the Passover. So what's cool about this, this is the part where it's going to be interactive. Who kept the Passover? Generally, the children of the folks that came out of Egypt 40 years later. A whole generation's died off. Everybody that was of a certain age didn't get to go into the, into the promised land. They didn't get to cross over Jordan. The first transition happened. The first transition, they look at their sons, they look at their daughters and say, the Lord told us this, when we cross over the land, you've got to do the Passover. Now, Joshua and Caleb, right, had, they, they were old enough, so they were part of that kind of first generational experience and led it, so I'm not trying to minimize their role, but it was important enough that the whole nation of Israel kept that. So, there's a couple of principles, and we'll wrap up. There's a principle of obeying first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Honor the Lord 
with thy substance in Proverbs 3, 9, 10. With the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Principle exists of, and this is not just a tithing principle, although there is a tithing principle here, but make sure that which the Lord has done in your life is your principal communicator to your kids. It's your principal communicator, communication rather, to your disciples. We need to disciple, we need to train our kids well, spiritual and physical, so that they see the very first thing we're going to do when we cross over is we're going to be obedient to what the Lord told us 40 years ago. The, the command had not changed. We need to make the first things first. Because when you do that, thy barns shall be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst with new wine. <clears throat> it doesn't say your 401k will be fine. It doesn't say your, the interest rates will be okay. It doesn't say you'll be able to get eggs for $2 a dozen. Like It says the Lord will take care of you. You will have plenty. You'll be okay. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting um, uh, principle here. The food changed from manna to the land, to the fruit of the land. So it changed from very simple. I don't know that I've spent the time in here to go over manna. There is a way to create something that tastes like what they believe manna tastes like. Okay, and it is very, very bland, very bland. And they've had it for forty years. There is a concept of food fatigue, and they've experienced it. They've hit that wall. Finally, they have manna one last time after Passover. Why? Because they're remembering that the Lord brought them out, their experiences in the wilderness, and from that point on, they're eating the fruit of the land, right? That's the grapes that they have to carry between you know, on a, a staff between two guys because it's so the clusters are so big and land flowing with milk and honey. It goes from being very here, here's manna. You just have to gather it. You just have to pick it up. So now it has. To, you've got options. You can have you know grapes if you want. You can have pomegranates if you want. You can have other things that were in the nation of Israel, milk and honey. I, like, I, you know, you can have, you have choices. With choices comes some expectation of maturity. But they also had to harvest it. It wasn't, you couldn't just walk over and pick it up. I mean, you could maybe walk over to a tree, but now that tree might be way over there. Wasn't necessarily right, like falling to the ground around them. In Luke 14 and 15, and when one of them sat at meat with him, or and one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Like they're getting a little glimpse of what it's going to be like to eat in the kingdom. John four thirty five. Say ye not, there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are wide already to harvest. The spiritual blessings are laying there and the options are plenteous. You can go on, in theory, any number of mission trips this year. You can minister in the cafe. You can minister on the safety and security team. You can minister in hospitality. You have all sorts of options of ways you can minister. There's needs in here. There's ways you can minister in here. There's all sorts of different... You have options. But you know what? 
You can't just bend over and pick it up. You're going to have to go. Look on the fields. They're, they're wide already to harvest, but the Lord needs laborers. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the, the, the conclusion of that, the pointing of that, this passage in, in Joshua, that ultimately they're seeing the blessings of the promised land. It's not meat and drink. The fruit is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's, the, that's the, the, going to be the sustainer. That brings us to our last victory principle. Spiritual blessings follow obedience. And obedience follows observance. Keeping these things at the forefront of your mind, there, I, we didn't even go there. There's a whole other study about memorial and observance and, and ordinance. One of them was to keep the scripture right on their forehead. Again, another study, another time. But it should be right in front of you. Always, just right there. You should remember these things. When the Lord does something magnificent in your life, share it. Share it with your disciples. Share it with your kids. You, it, when your kid says, well, why did it happen that way? Because God showed up, honey. Because God, we prayed and specifically asked for Garen to be healed. And guess what? I'm looking forward to a good report. Let's trust the Lord that he is at work and that we can communicate what he has done and what he is doing. And don't miss the fact that those first generation Hebrews, those first generation in the, of the children of Israel, said the Lord delivered us. I came out of the nation of Egypt. I was there. I witnessed, I mean, we're getting ready to see it. I witnessed the Red Sea parting. I witnessed it coming, yeah, the, the, the Egyptian chariots collapsing. And, and I saw what God did. I saw his, his hand I saw his hand at work firsthand. That is, and, and but 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 disciple, son, daughter. That's not enough. You can't live off my relationship. You need to have that relationship. What are you praying for? What are you trusting the Lord for today? That's going to be the best way to communicate that personal relationship with the Lord. Let's pray, Lord. We do thank you. Uh, thank you for the 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 call to remember the call to to set aside a time of memorial, a time of remembrance, a time where it's not just like Christmas and it's kind of this tradition or it's not just Thanksgiving because that's what we do. Lord, it's that that time where we might step back from that and take it in and say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for what you did. Thank you for coming to this earth. or Thank you for providing uh, for us in a time of harvest. And so Lord, help us to not get tied up in tradition, not get tied up in, in, the, in kind of the goings, but help us to connect with you to really see how you are and have been at work in our lives so that we can communicate that truth to the lost, we can communicate that, tr that truth to, our, the, to those who are, were instructed to teach, whether it's our physical children or our spiritual children. Lord, we love you. Uh, we ask that you go with us today. Just uh, just lead us and guide us. Help us to be ministers of your gospel uh, to a lost and dying world that desperately, desperately needs a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.